0: It's time to unleash you at Kangan Institute. Enroll now. Kangan.edu.au. RTO 3077. Dwayne's
1: World with Dwayne Russell. Good afternoon. Welcome to the show. Julian Destoop, sitting in for Dwayne Russell. I hope you've had a fantastic morning so far. Thanks to the boys on breakfast. Big show, of course. Sam Edmund and Gary Lyon with their sit-down interview with Simon Goodwin and Gary Pert. And thanks to Jared Waitley as well. So for those of you that didn't have the chance to listen to the entire interview this morning or haven't heard any of it at all, we will play a good chunk of the interview with Simon Goodwin and Gary Pert out of 1 o'clock today. But keen to get your thoughts 1300 736 736. You know how it works for midday madness. For Worklocker, Caram Downs and Pakenham, unlock Stockton full of value workwear for wherever you work. Visit worklocker.com.au. Uh, Melbourne fans or footy fans in general, your thoughts uh, on the interview, if you heard it, uh, things you liked, things you didn't like, where do Melbourne go from here? Uh, Do you think they've fully acknowledged the problem they've got? Were you satisfied with the answers you got, Melbourne supporters and members, from your coach and your CEO? Also, of course, Halloween uh, today. Uh, Those with kids out there will know it's definitely Halloween. They've been building up to it uh, for a couple of weeks. So we thought we'd have a bit of fun looking ahead to footy in 2024. What is your nightmare scenario for your team? Could be the game in general, could be for an individual Uh, So, as I said, just with Jared before we came on air, if you're an Essendon supporter, Ben Mackay wins the reverse Coleman. That's a disaster. Big money, long contract, high expectations. Expectation is he's going to be a very good key defender for the Bombers. If he isn't, uh, next year and beyond... But just focusing on next year, uh, that would be a nightmare. So send us through your 40 Wings Tempest. Plenty coming through already. 0433981116, the all new Temper Pro. Temper's most adaptive mattress ever is here. Temper, a mattress like no other. We'll hear from the retiring Aaron Phillips if you're just catching up on the news. The AFLW great champion basketballer as well will play her final game in the AFLW uh, this weekend. Of course, she's now captain of Port Adelaide. She was a two-time club champion with Adelaide, three-time premiership player, best on ground in two of those grand finals, two-time best and fairest, three-time All-Australian, two-time AFLW Players Association, most valuable player, coaches uh, champion in 2019, leading goal kicker, uh, twice, uh, just award after award after award. And of course, she's a champion basketballer uh, for the Opals as well. So, what do we do now that Daisy Pearce and Aaron Phillips have both retired? We, we're talking about naming some awards after these two. What should we do? Uh, any suggestions? Uh, happy to take one 736 736. We're going to ch- chat plenty of football too with Simon Hill at a 2 o'clock. Ballon d'Or decided last night. Uh, Matilda's back in action tomorrow night. A-League, uh, English Premier League, uh, plenty going on in the world of football. And upside-downside today, we're going to do the Western Bulldogs. So a couple of changes that the Dogs announced this morning. Rourke Smith and Hayden Crozier, uh, two players that played in the grand final a couple of years ago, have been delisted. So what's the upside for the Dogs? What's the downside in 2024? It's a massive year for that footy club, completely underachieved uh, this year. And uh, it's a big year for their coach and all their players in season 2024. So we'll do that as well after one o'clock. Let's get to Tim in Brighton first of all. We'll play a a few little grabs from Gary Pert and Simon Goodwin. But uh, Tim wants to kick us off with a nightmare scenario on Halloween. G'day, Tim.
2: G'day, Jules. Thanks for taking my call. Immediately when you talked about a nightmare scenario for Halloween, my heart uh, just skip the beat because I thought of Max King as a long-suffering and killed supporter <laughs> getting, re-inj- or getting injured and being out for a year.
1: That would be a nightmare. And you didn't see enough of him this year, uh, did you, Tim, uh, given the injuries uh, that he had? Uh, we haven't done the upside-down side of the Saints yet. We will. Uh, I know we're still a while away from season 2024. But uh, what's your, I, I, get the, I can see what's going to happen next year. Everyone's going to do their top eights. And I think very few so-called experts will have the Saints in. What's your feeling?
2: I I feel that like they'll be in there. I actually uh, called Dwayne, a couple, you know, maybe a couple of weeks ago, and I, I, I said to him, in my opinion, I think that the top eight will pretty much remain the same. I'd be surprised if there would be any changes. Uh, but I I I
3: I still I think St. will be there.
1: Yep. Uh, well, I, I think there'll be changes. I think history just says there's changes. The average is two. We had four uh, last year, and there are some sides that just missed out this year. You look at the Bulldogs with the talent they've got. Adelaide seems to be on the rise. Uh, Gold Coast under Damien Hardwick. So I think there'll be some changes. Uh, and as I say, I think most will just assume St Kilda will be one of those changes, but there's no reason they can't improve even further next year after another summer under Ross Line. Thanks for your call, Tim. Before we get to Jeff, in Manor Lakes. Let's just play a little bit of audio from the, the interview this morning with Gary Lyon and, and um, Sam Edmund speaking to Simon Goodwin and Gary Pert. We'll replay a fair chunk of it uh, out of the 1 o'clock news. But let's hear Gary Pert first of all uh, talking
4: about the culture at the Melbourne Footy Club. And I've got to say, I've, I've been in the game now for 40 years. Our our culture at the club, our men and women's programs, is the best I've seen in Forty years, and that's because of the people, the leadership, um, the the clarity and strength and resilience of that culture. So these behavioural issues will be held to account by those leaders because everyone's so clear on the standards and disciplines and expectations. Okay, so that was
1: Gary Pert on the culture. Now, obviously, the two individuals that have been spoken about a lot around this is Clayton Oliver, and that's been going on for a while now. And it first came to light early. Uh, In the trade period when there was, you know, reported by Sammy Edmund and Tom Morris that there was a feeling from other clubs uh, that he was gettable and then Melbourne, you know, bought him in and they uh, reaffirmed or made it clear that there's some standards that he has to apply to. This was Simon Goodman talking about Clayton Oliver.
0: But what Clayton needs to be really clear on is that we now have some minimum standards of behaviour that we want him to adhere to. Um, And if he can't come along with our culture, there will be some consequences that come with that. And we need to be in a position where we can drive our high performance culture. And Clayton's a big part of that. And he'll either come with us because it's teams that have great behaviour, great clarity on what it's expected, great behaviours, ultimately have success. And there's no individual that sits above that. And and we're going to build that around Clayton. So that was the answer on Clayton. And we hear more
1: after one o'clock. And then Joel Smith was the one that emerged a couple of weeks ago, uh, failing that test for an illicit substance on match day and uh, clearly, as
0: you would expect, uh, the coach was far from pleased. Well, I can only go by how I feel. and When I first heard, um, I was incredibly angry, frustrated um, to think that potentially we've got a player in round 23 on the eve of a final series um, not doing everything possible to help the success of our footy team. And I can only imagine that same feeling would be permeating through our supporter base. And I haven't spoken to Joel. Um, I'm going to let the process play out. Because I have, I've got a level of anger and frustration towards it. Um, there are the right people that are talking to, to Joel um, from a welfare perspective and, and working really closely with him around that. But where I sit right now, I've, I've got a little bit of frustration because of everything we've just been speaking about the the behaviours and the culture of our footy club, what we were embarking on at the end of this season um, to potentially be in this situation, um, I've got a bit of anger towards it. Our leadership group, you know, they're they're really upset by it. You know, they they, they give everything they can to our footy club um, and they were doing everything they could to give themselves the best crack at the ultimate success. And, um, you know, they're disappointed, they're angry. Um, and I guess we'll just work our way through it slowly as a footy club. That
1: surprised me. I I must admit when I heard him say he hasn't spoken to Joel Smith, that was a surprise. I understand the anger, and if you want to have a few days or a week where you don't want to communicate, but he's the leader of that playing group, and I know Joel Smith's made a serious mistake, but he's still one of yours, Uh, so I was surprised to hear that uh, he hasn't spoken to him. I guess you could argue Joel Smith could get on the front foot and ring the coach, but... I feel like at the end of the day, you're the leader of that playing group, and as angry and disappointed as you are, particularly in the current context of what Melbourne has been going through, uh, I get it. But I still think that's a mistake not to have actually spoken uh, to Joel Smith uh, since that incident came to light. Plenty of calls coming through. It's a midday madness for Worklocker, Karen Downs and Packham. Dave from Box Hill wants to have a chat about the Melbourne coach. G'day, Dave. Yeah,
2: g'day, George. You're
5: doing an awesome job, buddy. Thank you, mate. Listen, just... I just listened again to uh, what Goodwin was talking about. Now, you listen to what he's saying about Clayton Oliver, right? And the way he's handling this compared to Fly with the Dugowie issues, etc., they're chalk and cheese, mate. Absolutely chalk and cheese. And and for him to say they don't have a cultural problem there, like a culture problem, he's the one who's doing it, I, I believe anyway. I'm a Collingwood supporter, but you just listen to how he talks. Um, and it's like, I, I feel really, really sorry for Clayton Oliver because coming from his coach, like in a public forum, to be talking about that, I, I, I'm really concerned with regard to uh, what, what's going to happen in the future, to be honest, Jules.
1: But playing devil's advocate, Dave, I mean, there's been so much talk about Clayton Oliver for what, three to four weeks now, you know, initially in the trade period and then. He had that incident a couple of weeks ago where he was hospitalised. So the whole footy world knows there is some sort of issue with Clayton Oliver. So, and then if Melbourne don't address it at all publicly, they get smashed for hiding themselves away. So what sort of other scenario was there for Simon Goodwin and Gary Pert today when they were asked about Clayton Oliver? Mate, if it were me, I
5: would have done like what fly Said with regards to Jordan to Well, we're wrapping our arms around the guy, all right, et cetera, et cetera. Put away the innuendo because now more questions are going to be asked because they didn't really put anything to bed. And when they're talking about, um, you know, expectations, individual expectations, blah, 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 um, I don't think he should have gone to those sort of lengths to explain it because he's almost just shaming the bloke. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't know. It could just be me, my take on it, but just the, the way he, he talks. Um, Goodwin, I'm talking about. It, 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 to me, it's like, yeah, it is very, it, there's a lot going on. You guys don't know about, we don't know about. But I think he could have handled it a little bit um, uh, with a bit more aplomb.
1: Appreciate your feedback, uh, Dave. Let's get to Jeff in Manor Lakes. G'day, Jeff.
5: G'day, Jules. Um, I agree with you with your comments
6: around um, Goodwin. God, you know, he's his player. He needs to get around him and find out what's going on and look to support him. (coughs) But I think there's a bigger issue here. I'll ask you a question. Do you think Collingwood had a cultural issue in the late 2000s, early 2010s?
1: Uh, Look, it's interesting. This whole word culture, it gets thrown around Is it a little bit overrated? What does it actually mean? Um, So I'm assuming you're talking about some of the players they had at Collingwood that sort of liked a good time off the field around that time when they were winning the Premiership in 2010?
2: Yeah, well, I I think so. Look, the the thing is, to me, there's one common denominator in all of this, and it's Gary Pertz.
1: Collingwood had a lot of
6: issues around that time when he was CEO. And lo and behold, what's happening now? Melbourne have got issues while he's CEO. Is he fit to be a CEO at a football club? Does he know how to handle what's going on
7: at a football club?
1: Are you a Melbourne supporter, Jeff? No,
7: I'm
1: not. No. No, fair enough. Thanks for your call, Jeff. Let's, uh, before the break, let's get to James in Ivanhoe. G'day, James.
7: G'day, Jules. How are you going? I'm good. I suppose everyone's uh, sick, sick to death of all this, but. I think that interview has got more holes in it than I'm uh, fishing net. Um, it, what
1: what in particular do you to, think has uh, got some holes in it?
7: It's plain to see that there's a huge problem at Melbourne. Um, you've got Gary Perton and the Goodman come out and say that it's not. And you can't, how can you win a, a premiership if you're not in a high-efficiency unit? West Coast went back-to-backs and they had a huge drug problem. Look at Ben Cousins. Now, Clayton Oliver's look like he's going down the same path as Ben Cousins, and the AFL, with their drug policy, have got to have a bloody good look at themselves because we don't want another great footballer going down that park and ruination of his life. And good Goodwin to say, I haven't even spoken to the young, the young Smith with drugs. Well, that's just proven that there's a cultural problem because the first thing you need is your leaders to come around and support you. And what he's done is he's kicked him to the, kicked him to the gutter.
1: Yeah, as I said, James, I was surprised about that, and I think that's not uh, the right thing to do. West Coast back to about grand finals, a 1-1 loss one. I think that's a bit of an outlier that you'd have success when there is that much of a problem going on at your footy club, but I I, I do agree. It doesn't it, – the two don't link together necessarily. I don't think Melbourne's finished top four the last uh, last couple of years because their culture's been right up there with the best in the competition. They had a lot of talent. It's actually hard for them. Uh, to miss the top four, and the issue is more that they haven't won finals uh, than f- finish in the top four. But as I say, I just I'd love to speak to a few former players about this. Uh, we we hear this word culture so much. How important is it? What does it actually really mean? I'm sure it varies uh, from footy club, but I think it's just it's such a catch all phrase that gets thrown around. Uh, when there's issues like that have been going on at Melbourne and and other clubs uh, in the past. Thanks for your call, James. Midday Madness is up and running for work at Caram Downs and Pakenham. Get on the Werribee Kia open line. one 736 736 for Werribee Kia, awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. Before we get to Scott and John off the 40 Wings Timber, the other topic we're talking about, as well as the Melbourne interview this morning with Gary Pert and Simon Goodwin, is it's Halloween. So what's your nightmare, Scenario for footy in 2024. Stephen says at Essendon, Sam Draper doesn't play a game in 2024. Johnny from Mornington might be speaking for a lot of fans that don't support these two teams. And we nearly had it halfway through the first quarter in the prelim Up at the Gabba, we thought so. Carlton versus Pius Grand Final. Pius winning, says John in Mornington. Hi, Jules. My nightmare would be Jack Gunston struggling and playing reserves at Hawthorne and Brandon Ryan gone to Brisbane and starring, says Joe in Roval. A-Rod's got sleepless nights about that one as well. Hi, Julian. uh, From Hoppy. Nightmare scenario for West Coast. Harley Reid does his ACL in round one. Well, that's. Well, let's just hope that doesn't happen wherever he's playing. Uh, young Harley Reid. I'll read some more out about the Melbourne situation shortly, but Scotty from West Meadows has been hanging on. Thanks for
8: your patience, Scott. G'day, Jules. How you going? I'm good, mate. Uh, Yourself? Good, mate. I'm a D supporter. Just want to say, column supporters, who seem to be the predominant amount of people ringing in, paragons of, uh, of the AFL. Of Getting NFL. a bit of
1: feedback about that
8: on the message um, machine. Um, um, yeah believable. They've got short memories. Um, and the thing I want to say about what they said uh Purdy and Goody said about Clayton Oliver, the issues that they have are not what people think the issues are. Uh, um, there's people that know. Gary Line knows. I know. It's not the issues that people think they are. That's all I want to say.
1: What did you make of the interview overall, Scotty?
8: Uh, it was a bit... Uh, they chose their words a bit too carefully, if you ask me. But... Um, it uh, they could have said more, and they just tried to tow the um, I think bit of the the line to not sound as bad as it is. But anyway,
1: uh, are you as a Melbourne supporter? Are you concerned at some of the behavioural issues at the club, or do you think they're things that can be turned around? You know, they're, maybe they're drawing a line in the sand now, and these things can turn around pretty quickly.
8: The only thing is, like you said, about culture. Two players is not on not a culture. Mm they have got things to sort out, but two places, not the final culture.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that, Scott. Uh, thanks for your call. Let's get to John in Mill Park. G'day, John. G'day.
9: Hello, mate. I'm
1: good, mate. How are you? You're
9: not too bad, mate. I, I, they didn't sound convincing at all to me. Mm. I mean, and I'm not a Melbourne supporter, but it, it wasn't convincing. And for the, the, the Melbourne supporters, I think this is more a cover-up than, uh I think and also trying to please the Melbourne membership base. Uh, I mean, let's face it. I mean, and Simon Goodwin keeps going on about 10 years. Well, he hasn't been the senior coach of the Melbourne Footy Club for 10
1: years. No, he's been um, at the club for 10 years, but not the senior coach. Yeah.
9: Correct. And um, the other thing that I, the, the one thing that I question is Gary Pert's comment about the best culture that he's seen in 40 years and that that he mentioned Alan Richardson and Simon Goodwin as the two leaders. Well, I totally agree with your point about Joel Smith. If you've got the leader or the senior coach of a football club that that has not spoken to a player who has committed an offence whilst playing football, whilst playing football, not outside of football, and I can't wait for the AFL's decision on this, whether they also sanction Melbourne, which I think they should. Um, but that, that doesn't all go well with me because if I was a player at that club, I'd want to hear from the coach, and you're right, maybe he should have gone to the coach as well, but as a senior coach who, who's, who's saying that the high performance is not just on the football ground, but he's also off the football ground, then he should be speaking to him.
1: Well, uh, when you say Melbourne should be sanctioned, Why?
9: OK, let's, let's look at this really closely. If this happened in Europe, and I know we're not in Europe, but in European football, and you're playing, whilst you're playing, you are committed with an offence of taking an illicit drug that, by the way, is a performance-enhancing drug, and I'm not saying until it's all clear, then at the end of the day, the club is also sanctioned. They should be sanctioned, whether it's premiership points or whether it's draft cons- uh, uh, penalisation, absolutely, because it's happened whilst he was playing at the club.
1: But going, back a, but going back a long way, John, and I'm not sure of the rules in European football have changed, uh, Rio Ferdinand skipped the drugs test and he was banned, but the club Manchester United wasn't penalised.
9: You don't know what they were penalised, It didn't come
1: out. Or were they but penalised? I
9: can tell you now that there's been other cases, absolutely they were. They were penalised financially. So... you've got to look at this as a whole. I mean, you can't have a club. And even though that gentleman that was on price said it's only two players, whether it's two players, whether it's one player, effectively, and and let's face it, I mean, the best way to handle this is to help Joel and not to throw him out um, in the street and let him hang hang dry. The best thing to do here is to help the guy if he has an issue with illicit drugs. That's my belief anyway. Mm. But to have a senior coach say, or to... Basically, inference that he hasn't spoken to him. That is a very, very weak way of management managing um, people. Whether it's in a football world or whether it's in a corporate world or whether it's in a business as a leader, you should be talking to your people.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that, John. And I must admit, looking at the feedback either via the phones or via the Forty Wings Temper today on this show so far, and listening to some of the messages that Jared read out, um, I think that most people would agree with you on that one. Thanks for your call, John. Now I've got one here off the 40 winks temper from Jim, plenty of positives to come from the Melbourne interview, but yet again, all you do is talk about the negatives. Give us a call, Jim. What were the positives or Melbourne fans? Tell us about the positives. Those of you that walked away comfortably from the interview and feel that everything's under control and things are going to turn around or things aren't that bad, uh, give us a call. 1-300-736-736. It's Midday Madness for the Work Locker, Downs and Pakenham. Unlocked, stocked and full of value workwear for wherever you work. Visit worklocker.com.au. Just a reminder, we'll play... A fair bit of the interview out of one o'clock. Simon Hill is also coming up uh, on the program. We want your nominations for your... It's Halloween, of course, today, October 31. We want your nightmare scenarios for footy. In 2024, welcome back to the show, Julian Stoop, sitting in for Dwayne Russell. We're talking the Melbourne interview with Simon Goodwin and Gary Pertnell. So it's Halloween nightmare scenarios for your footy club or the game in general Uh, in season 2024. One here off the 40 Wings temper, plenty coming through. Hi, Jules, my nightmare for the Swans after giving away... Two premiership Ruckman to Richmond and Collingwood that Grundy breaks down in round one, says Richard. Fair enough. Now, a good mate from the run home, good friend of the station, big North man. Oh, Brett from St. Albans jumped on. Uh, nightmare scenario for you there, Shanks?
10: Yeah, mate. Uh, the ultimate nightmare scenario for a North Melbourne supporter.
1: Todd Goldstein, now, Australian Ruckman. I,
10: I, I had second thoughts about this phone call because I probably realised that you're not even going to make the finals, let alone win a final. But I thought I'd ring anyway. If Todd Goldstein and, to a lesser extent, Ben, ben Mackay go to Essendon and win a flag, after 300-plus games at the Shinboaters, I will I will do whatever you want me to do. As an, I'll, I will be a paid-up Essendon member for the rest of my life, and I'll we, never we, watch another we, North game. We don't want you.
1: Why would we want you nah. as a member?
10: No, you wouldn't. <laughs> nah, because I... <laughs> My nickname should be the pig, mate. I'm mean, like, seriously. If that if that happens, that that's they'll cook me. I'm done.
1: <laughs> well, they're going to have to win it next year or the year after. You'd think uh, if Todd's to get his premiership, uh, Benny mackay has got a little bit more time uh, up his sleeve. Uh, thank you for your call, as always, Brett. Uh, let's get to Roger in Narry Warren. G'day, Rog. G'day, Jules. How are you?
11: I'm good. How are
1: you? Good, mate. 35
10: year
11: Melbourne supporter. Melbourne does have a culture problem. I know there are a lot of supporters who will disagree with me. I mean, you don't get to Alex Ferguson sitting and having beers with, with his players that, that, are, that he's coaching. You always keep that distance. I think, I think Simon Goodwin's just gone too close with them. That's the reason why he can't drop players who are not fit. He can't drop players who are not performing well like Tom McDonald. Just as an example, you know, so this is the biggest problem that Melbourne has. And fitness is another reason why Melbourne had a poor year this year. Absolutely unfit, can't run out four quarters. Maximum two quarters Melbourne players were able to play. That's about all that they could do.
1: Mm. Oh, Roger, I'll, I'll pick you up on your point there. I think you can still have your coach from time to hot time have a beer or two with his players. Surely that's okay.
11: Occasionally it's okay with Jules don't get me wrong there's nothing wrong in having a beer but if you're going to be sitting and getting wasted at Sorrento with your with your other with your players i think you lose that respect as a coach you can't uh, uh, really uh, Roger hang on hey really...
1: rod hang on who who said who said he got wasted who who said that where's the proof that he got wasted
11: my, that's that's what's on social media. That oh they were that's drinking a, yeah. together. maybe not maybe but, it was a wrong word. maybe it's a little too harsh to say wasted, but he was they were drinking together.
1: yeah, that's okay. You can have a couple of quiet drinks. He denied that this morning that there was anything sus about that. It was just a couple of drinks at Sorrento uh, with his players, so uh, look, surely we haven't reached a stage where a player a coach can have a little bit of bonding with his players and have a couple of beers and in particular in the off season.
11: I, I just I just think that there's a lot of mates, mates with the Melbourne Football Club. We should have had at least two or three flags, just like what Richmond had. We've got a fantastic list. The moment we lost our fitness coach, mm-hmm. we went out in straight sets the year before, and we went out in straight sets this year.
1: Look, I think there is something to that. There, there has been problems with Melbourne running out games. That's true. And the fitness side of it, That that's that's an interesting way of looking at it. Uh, but you say that, and you look at the two finals this year, and if they kicked a bit straighter, they probably win both of those games, and who knows where they go on from there? So it's fine margins, and I think I think Simon Goodwin did make it a reasonable point where that if you do win the premiership, everything is rosy in terms of your culture, and if you just miss out, then questions start to get asked. So it, it is a fine line. Thanks for your call, Roger. Let's get to Dino and Reservoir. G'day, Dino. Yeah. yeah g'day,
2: Jules. I'm dreading uh, Tom Lynch missing more games. know. Yes. with with Reewalk gone, um, we'll have nobody to man the forward line.
1: Yes, I think that was the When I thought of Richmond and this uh, topic, I think that's the one that would be at the top of most uh, Richmond's uh, nightmare list. That if Tom Lynch breaks down again or doesn't get much, uh, doesn't get out there too much. What do you expect next year, Dino from the Tigers?
2: Um. Look, we'll be hovering around the eight, hoping to get in the eight or thereabouts. But, um, look, it, it does all depend on the big fella up forward. It really does. There's nobody else.
8: Yeah. There's nobody
2: I, I, You could probably play the swing man, Bolter, but then uh, who's going to go back down? But, I mean, you know, he can't be everywhere. You know, yeah. I'd love to see Bolter on the wing, actually. I reckon he can boot the ball a mile. He can run like the wind. He can take a mark. I'll be, he'll be the perfect wingman, Bolter. But um, mainly lynch missing that that that, that that's, that's, that's top of
1: mind for me Beautiful, Dino, uh, for your troubles, uh, thanks for your call. You've won a $50 e-gift card. Redeemable online or in-store, thanks to the House of Golf, your one-stop shop for all things golf. Welcome back to the show, Julian De Stoop Sitting in for Dwayne Russell, Simon Hill will join us later on in the program to talk everything in the world of football. We'll hear from Erin Phillips, uh, who's speaking to the media as we speak about her retirement. She'll play her final game uh, in the AFLW for Port Adelaide. Uh, this weekend. What an absolute superstar across two sports she has been. But let's get back to the Werribee Kia open line. one 736 736 awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. Let's get to Alan in Bentley. He wants to talk about the Ds. Get Alan.
2: Yeah, not necessarily the Ds, Jules, but like, this isn't a Melbourne problem. This is uh, an AFL problem. The, the bottom line is we have a free strike policy when it should be zero tolerance. I mean, I'm a forklift driver. If I get caught taking drugs at work, I'm sacked, and that would be for 90% of the population out there. So this is just ridiculous. Um, football players are treated with uh, a, a different um, set of rules than the rest of us, and that's the problem.
1: Yeah, I don't think you can have a zero-strikes policy, Alan. There's Sometimes there's extenuating circumstances that, that uh, come into play. I get your point, and that might be the case in a lot of workplaces, but uh, that will never happen. Uh, in the AFL, thanks for your call, Al. Let's get to Pete in Peran. G'day, Pete. Hey, Jules. Uh, really nice to speak with you. You too, mate. mate.
2: Um, so I listened to that interview this morning. I was recorded the other day, but it was—I um, listened to it this morning. It was really, really good, actually. Um, I don't know. I don't agree with um, with the coach when he said that if you win the premiership. It, all is forgotten, all is forgiven. I, I find it hard to believe that, that the me, the media, let alone everybody else, would have um, just brushed aside the drug issue, uh, Oliver issue, and all the other issues they've had, which are fairly significant. I, I don't believe whether they, they'd won it or not, they would not be issues all of a sudden. That's that's one point. No,
1: they'd be issues, but I think they wouldn't be magnified as much. Because unfortunately, rightly or wrongly, and it's probably wrongly, Uh, Winning does paper over cracks We've seen it in sport for years
2: Yeah cracks Yes uh, but these are like uh, What do they call them These uh, giant sinkholes Mm -hmm. Either way And and the second point Jules um, If you don't mind Some years ago there was a great white paper written which subscribe really to the Sydney Swans philosophy, which is, you know, the no-riches-cranium mm-hmm. yep. philosophy. Correct. And it said basically it said basically how organisations often tolerate great, people who are great at what they do, but are absolutely terrible in their behaviour. And, and what generally happens is a breakdown of the team culture and your good people who may not be the superstars, Leave or their their um, performance falls away. And they've done so many studies. We're going you to know, look at so many case studies, and it was all proven consistently. Now, looking at the Melbourne scenario, I'm not saying that's the case, but it is easy to look at. You know what we see from an arm's length and say, well, there's a good chance that, that is occurring right there, where uh, certain people uh, are given certain leeway, and certain others are pushed out because they're creating waves. Uh, in the club, potentially. I'm just saying, uh, your observation.
1: Yeah, no, I understand your point, uh, Pete. Thanks for your call. Let's get to Anthony in Craigieburn. G'day, Anthony.
12: Jules. good afternoon. Um, Two parts of the story I like your answers. If you're a player, if you're a player on 400k a year, would you feel okay your club testing you two, three, four times a year?
1: I would. Yeah, I would.
12: I was hoping that would be your answer, mm-hmm.
1: A. Not a, everyone would, not they, would they, they. but I would.
12: I mean, if you're clean and you've got no concerns, why don't you? No,
1: it, um, I, I and agree with the point. Out a
12: lot of these, this will take out a lot of these great problems. And B, if you're Gary Pert, wouldn't you like more ability to be able to test the players? So you could perhaps, just perhaps save one person's career. You may save one person's life. You may save sponsors that are throwing in millions and millions of dollars that don't like your club's culture decide to go elsewhere. We are finding hard to keep these guys. Wouldn't you like to give the clubs a bit more power and authority so they can do this in-house testing?
1: Uh, No, I take your point. Uh, I'm not sure how the AFL Players Association would feel about that. I mean they signed can up to an illicit drugs policy which a lot of other sports have not done. Um, so I'm not sure they would be a big fan of extra testing would be my initial reaction.
12: Can you see that's the public's deception? Why don't they want to test? Is there something to hide? That's our belief. if you if you're a clean skin and you've got no problem, you put your hand up every day of the week. It's that deception, why aren't they doing it? Is there something to hide? And it is a problem everywhere. It's not just footy.
1: No, it is everywhere. It, absolutely, it is. Thanks for your call, Anthony. Got plenty more to smash through. Let's get to John in Parkville. G'day, John.
6: Yeah, Hey guys. How are you? Sorry um, about that. That's it.
1: all right. I, I, yeah, sorry. Far away.
6: Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I wanted to get sorry about that. Um, I was just wondering, if player X has taken drugs, Therefore, the team should be somewhat um, under the the thumb because of the fact that Player X has taken this drug. Therefore, Player X should be on the ground in in paperwork but not allowed to take his spot on the ground because Player X has taken the drug. Or has seemed to have taken the drugs, so therefore, the the team gets penalised by Player X. Huh.
1: Are you referring to Joel Smith there, John?
6: Um, no, 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 no. Player X. Um, it doesn't matter who, 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 or or what game they're playing. Um, just as long as um, the, the team. Feels that like they should have worked everybody through the uh, game, rather than saying, look, player X is has taken drugs." rah, rah, rah. Let's say player X has been taken taking the drug, and therefore he should be listed on on the team sheet only as as, uh, as but. Not to be uh, playing or anything like that, but no. Nope.
1: But we wouldn't we wouldn't know before the game, John, if a player is on has taken a drug. Do, doing that um, thing. Mm. I'll take that on board, Johnny. Thanks for your call. Let's get to Joe in Footscray. G'day, Joe.
5: Yeah, Jules.
3: I, I just reckon uh, I don't know, but sports people are just people, right? Like so, or an extension of society. There's always going to be these issues. And, I mean, if you look at the NBA, they're not testing for certain drugs now, Mm -hmm. like, in games. So I think if it's not performance enhancing, yeah, I know it's not a good look on the game and it's not good, you know, on society, but there's always going to be a proportion of people, whether they're sports people or just normal people, that, you know, from time to time do these things. That's just life.
1: Yeah, that is true. That is true, and I think what people need to understand the Joel Smith one is different because it is uh, on match day, and therefore it is treated as a performance enhancing. Now there is, you know, provisions in it to where he gets the chance to prove he it wasn't uh, taken for performance enhancing reasons, and therefore if he can prove that, uh, his sentence will be far less uh, than it was. And then on the other side of it, you've got the you know illicit drugs policy, which. You know, players uh, have failed in the past uh, outside of competition. And we've seen with, uh, you know, Bailey Smith and Jack Ginevan, who were subsequently caught uh, with illicit substance, were banned by their clubs uh, for two weeks. And that goes by as a strike uh, against their name. But no doubt it's a big problem in society and footballers are uh, part of society. Uh, thank you for your call. Uh, it's been a big first hour. Plenty of passion off the back of the interview with Simon Goodwin and Gary Pert this morning. Alan, who rang in before, has just texted in saying, uh, am I being paid by the AFL? No, I'm not. And I'm not suggesting to treat AFL football as different to the general public, Alan. I'm saying it's, and in workplaces as well, you can't just have a zero tolerance uh, way of going about it. There is extenuating circumstances. You could have your drink spiked. For example, there is circumstances where you've got a right to appeal or you've done absolutely nothing wrong, even though there might be an illicit substance uh, in your body. That was what I was talking about. I'm not saying treat AFL footballers differently to uh, people in workplaces. So I hope that Uh, Clears that up for you. Bit of footy news as well. Uh, Tommy Campbell's re-signed for another year at the Saints. Tom Highmore's time at St Kilda has come to an end. And as we mentioned, if you didn't hear off the top of the show, a couple of delistings as well at the Western Bulldogs. A couple of grand final players from 2021. Hayden Crozier, the former docker, and Rourke-Smith. Good afternoon. Welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us uh, this afternoon on a pretty grey old Melbourne day, uh, welcome Julian Stoop sitting in for Dwayne Russell. Now, later this hour, we'll hear from the retiring superstar from, well, now Port Adelaide, but Adelaide as well, champion basketballer too back in the day, Erin Phillips. She's just spoken to the media and we will speak to her father, Greg, uh, later on in the show as well. But if you missed it this morning with Gary and Sam Edmund, we're going to play some extended cuts of the Simon Goodwin. And Gary Pert interview. Now, let's start with Simon and Gary addressing the club's culture and also Simon addressing the rumours around his own alleged behaviour.
13: Have you got a cultural footy uh, problem at your footy club, Goody?
0: No, look, we haven't got a cultural problem. We've got some isolated incidents that we are going to deal with to help drive our culture forward. Um, you know, for 10 years now, we've worked on a, building a high performing culture. Um, we've made decisions in and around our footy club over a long period of time to build the best footy club we can to perform to the highest level. And we've been able to do that um, right to the extent where we won a premiership in 21. We've been able to continue to do that and finish in the top four of the last couple of years. Um, currently, right now, we've got some isolated incidents. And when I present culture to our footy team, it sits above everything we do in our footy club ahead of X's and O's, ahead of the strategy of what we do. Without a good, strong culture, a high-performing culture, you can't have success. Alignment in behaviour is critical. It doesn't mean it won't be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. It's always ongoing. And currently we sit here, we've got some isolated incidents that on the back of each other would look like we've got some trouble at our footy club. But we haven't got the trouble that people think we've got. We've got an amazing high-performing culture in terms of the people and the leadership that have driven this footy club for 10 years now. And we're going to use the opportunity of these isolated incidents that we're dealing with to continue to grow and enhance that. We need it to be at the very highest level for the highest success and that's what we're going to go about doing.
13: People would nearly drive off the road with respect Mm -hmm. and suggest that you're in denial. When you sit here on the back of where your club's at, you know, is when it matters most. High performance when it matters most is in September. On those issues that we've been talking about, and you again sit here and tell me that the culture is strong at the football club.
0: Yeah, I understand that people would think that. But you don't get into a position where, um, you know, finishing top four... In a competition, without having a high-performing culture, and we have we've, we've got we've built a culture that is about hard work. It's about being competitive. It's about being unified in our approach. And as I said, it doesn't mean you're you, you're going to be perfect in everything we do. And we haven't been perfect in everything we've done. We're not in denial about that. We've got some imperfections that we need to sort out. But it sits at the at the top of what we do, and we are going to use these examples, and we are going to clean up some of the things that we've done to make sure that we actually can forge ahead and have the success that we're looking for. But we are putting ourselves consistently in positions for success at our footy club. And that's something we should be really proud of. Um, but that, as I said, it doesn't mean that we haven't got some things that we need to address, iron out and get better.
13: The extended inference on that is from your own point of view, Goody, is your name continually gets uh, dragged into this and has done you know, over the past three or four years and you know, as brutal as it is, your name has been linked to an illicit drug problem. Have you, since you've been a coach of this football club, had an issue with illicit drugs? Never
0: and I've said this over a three-year period now and it's pretty ordinary that I'm actually sitting in this position and having to justify um, that situation. Um, I know where it started in terms of a rumour from down in the Montes Peninsula and that was clearly going around and um, that was, for me, really concerning and bizarre at the time. It then led to an allegation, an allegation that was fully investigated by Gary and the club across here about what that might look like. And it it was nothing in it. Um, I do not use illicit drugs. Um, I give everything I can to my family, my team, um, in a way that dedicates my life to our footy club. Um, and to have this play out of a three year period where my reputation has been caught up in a boardroom battle. It's been well documented. It's been documented over and over and over again in the public. Um, it's been really hard. Um, it's taken its toll on my, myself, my family, everyone. Um, and it, enough's enough. I, I don't use illicit drugs and
14: I, I never will. How hard has it been? I mean, I'm, I'm delving into the personal here, but we not just for you because it's hard for you, but you live in the public line for those that don't that you just touched on.
0: Yeah, and no, I understand that in the public light you're going to have rumours spoken about you and that's the world we live in. I'm sure you've you've had them before, Gary, and, and everyone that goes down that path. But when it's such a sustained period of time and um, there's no fact to the rumour, um, it is really tough on your family. And as I said, I, I love the game. I'm passionate about our footy club. I'm passionate about football. Um, and I've led my club to a really high level over a 10 year period. And I'm incredibly proud of that. I'm gonna to continue to do that. I certainly don't condone illicit drugs. Um, and it's been widely accused that I've got a behavioral and lifestyle that's not acceptable. Do I enjoy having a, a beer and a punt um, and a glass of wine with mates? Yeah, of course I do. I'm a, I'm a pretty straightforward type of guy. Gaz, you know that. Um, but I live my life in a way that really is a dedicated approach to my, my career, my football club and my family. and um, you know, the rumors have to stop. Um, it's got way out of control from a boardroom battle into court documents, into republication, rehashing, rehashing of a story over and over again, to an extent where it's become a fact, um, which is just not fair. And it's gone from a rumor to an allegation to a fact, and it's got to stop. Um, I've had enough. And I think as an industry, we need to be better than what we are today. Um, 're we're starting to really hurt people in this game too much through this period of time.
13: Documents have been circulated, reported on in the paper here in Melbourne, Purdy of which you've been attributed to saying, yes, we will look into this. yes, we've had, you know, again, I'm paraphrasing here, I can read it, refute it. You're comfortable with the whole process over the past two years in terms of you know the behaviours and otherwise of your coach investigated, as Simon has said, put it to bed in your own mind and
4: not revisited it? Um, I'm not comfortable. I'm disgusted, really, about what's played out over the last three years. Um, three years ago, there was rumours going around like we have. We've all been in the industry a long time. And when rumours pop up, and I've I've done this at the club with other rumours as well, we check them out, we take them the full length to establish whether we have any issues. For three years now, I've been saying this has been fully investigated. Every single person that was actually spreading this rumour at the time I spoke to, and all of them said the same thing. Well, I'm only passing on what I got told by someone else. And so I'd go back through the chain and took it all the way back to what seemed to be where it started from. And the one or two people where it started from all said, we haven't referred to drugs. We we were referring to the fact that Simon was down at the Mornington Peninsula at the Sorrento Hotel with some of our senior players. Now, they were living there at the time because we were training at Casey Field and they were having a beer and a bet on the races at times, and that's literally where it got to. Now, I've made it very clear publicly for three years, and and I'd presented that to the board at the time when I said I'd investigate it. Glenn Bartlett, who was the head of the board and the rest of the board, signed off on that and uh, accepted there was no further action required. There's been no new information. There's been no new people come forward, so nothing's changed in that period of time, and it's really been... Uh, one, it's been disgusting uh, to watch it play out. And two, I've felt really quite helpless to watch Goody go through this. And um, he he hasn't talked about it a lot because uh, I know it's something that's really difficult. But I've also watched how the whole family's had to wear these constant um, attacks and how that ripples out. So... Um, it is really something that's got to stop. There's been no fact, there's been no merit, there's been no substance to it at any stage. And like I said, I think we've all seen rumours in the industry at different times and they might flare up for a week or two. I've never seen it carry on like this for three years.
1: So that was part one, uh, addressing the club's culture overall and, and the second half of that, uh, Simon Goodman, on uh, some of the allegations uh, that have been levelled at him. Now we're just going to turn our focus to uh, a couple of the individuals involved from the playing side. We know Clayton Oliver over the last three or four weeks has been in the news. Melbourne have you know, called him in. They've uh, made him pretty clear there's certain standards he needs to meet. And then, of course, a couple of weeks ago, the story came out that Joel Smith... Um, tested positive to an illicit substance on match day uh, late in the season. So here's Simon Goodwin and Gary Pert talking about Clayton Oliver and Joel Smith.
14: Simon, we spoke about illicit drugs broadly uh, pertaining to you, an individual at your football club who's um, well known to everyone. His name's Clayton Oliver. He's got a long and lucrative contract ahead of him. Can I ask you pointedly, does Clayton Oliver have an illicit substance problem?
0: Clayton Oliver's got some personal challenges. And that's the best way we can describe it. It's a very complex situation that we've got going on with Clayton. And clearly those challenges have been going ongoing for multiple years. Um, this is something that hasn't just reared its head in recent times. This is something that's been ongoing for our footy club and ongoing for our, our team um, for a number of years. And um, we're working incredibly closely with Clayton right now um, and building the best people around him and care around him to deal with his complex personal issues. Um But what Clayton needs to be really clear on is that we now have some minimum standards of behavior that we want him to adhere to. Um, and if he can't come along with our culture, there will be some consequences that come with that. And we need to be in a position where we can drive our high performance culture. And Clayton's a big part of that. And he'll either come with us because it's teams that have great behavior, great clarity on what it's expected, great behaviors ultimately have success and there's no individual that sits above that and and we're going to build that around clayton
14: so if these personal challenges have been ongoing over us you know two to three years as you say why has it seemingly come to a head in 2023
4: well it's it really is a matter of a lot of what we deal with if it's dealt with internally and no one knows about it it's not being talked about in the media um, then it doesn't mean that we haven't been dealing with it. It's been a constant challenge. So that's been and, happening over time. Uh, yeah, uh, over a long period of time. And as Simon said, that Clayton has his own support people and, and our people are part of that as well. But it really does come down to the, the very first question that Gary asked, which is, do we have a cultural problem? And and people have got to understand what culture is about. So that That's what we're dealing with now is we're dealing with isolated behavioural issues where individuals are being held to account, and when you have a cultural issue, that's about do you have the leaders and do you have the leadership programs and do you have the standards and disciplines and do you have the accountability? These are programs that are in place, and i 've got to say i 've been in the game now for forty years our Our culture at the club, our men and women 's programs is the best i 've seen in forty years, and that 's because of the people, the leadership um, the the clarity and strength and resilience of that culture. so these behavioral issues will be held to account by those leaders because everyone 's so clear on the standards of disciplines and expectations. And Clayton might be viewed by some, which would be really valid to go arguably our best player. But our best player and our first-year recruit are held accountable to the same standards and disciplines. We make no apology for that. And recently, we have made clear to Clayton and his management that he is being held accountable and that needs to be uh, tightened up. And not only for Clayton... But all the players that are living and breathing that culture every day need to see that everyone's held accountable. And that's what's playing out.
13: At any stage, did you talk about trading Clayton Oliver?
0: No, we didn't consider trading Clayton Oliver. It came up as a period of time where we were working with Clayton um, to really buy into the the behaviours that we're looking for from him. Um, And it all culminated at once. Um, and that's why the club didn't speak for two or three days there were these rumors going around about trade, but we were wanting to get a real clear commitment from Clayton that he was prepared to do the work, to buy into the, the standards and the behaviors and the minimum things that we were looking for and to really want to be a part of the Melbourne footy club. And, and in, in the end he, he did, he wanted to be a part of where we're going and we're going to work with him to do that. Um. So that's why it played out that way. But we weren't in a we weren't in a position where we wanted to trade Clayton Oliver.
14: But since that bind is obviously had a hospital episode, so is it a day to is it a week to week proposition with Clayton? I mean, can you sit here and make any sort of guarantees about next year, about the next six years after that?
4: Mm. And, and again, um, we 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 communicated to our supporters what what actually happened with him going to hospital, and and that was reflective of the challenges that we deal with him. Um, but it certainly wasn't uh, reflective of a lot of the comment that was in the media or rumours that was out there. Quite the opposite. Um, so hopefully we uh, we clarified that. But is that a reflection of some of the mm. challenges we have? Yes, it is.
13: So with and I'm, we can just get back to Max, for instance, and Jack and Christian and you know the Neil Bullen's who you know, we love and got great respect for for. The, how difficult is it for them then when you've got a situation like Clayton or, you know, others where they've got to stand up and set a standard and drive a standard as a leader? I'm thinking, right, you know, back in the day, you're captain of your footy club and you're going, this is what we are, this is where we're going to be, and this is what we stand for. And then, you know, the best player, the generational talent, the best players, 150 years, and for whatever reason, can't meet that standard, whether they, and I, under, and I appreciate the medical complexity. So uh, this is not an issue that people think it is, maybe part of, I'm not sure. But how can you stand up there and drive that stand and say this, this, and this, and this, and then if one can't quite get there? How, how do you deal with that then as a leader?
0: And I think that's what's the, the shift that's going to be taking place is these guys are driving such a high-performing culture. These guys buy in and drive it and role model what we're looking for to a really high level. And right now, they're, they're second-guessing themselves. They've got all the external noise going on around our footy club, around Poor culture and and what do we stand for and that and that, they deep down they know what they what we stand for but this gives them an opportunity to really reestablish this we want to be clear about what we stand for and we don't want to sit here I don't need to sit here and convince you Gary and talk to you we want to show you we want to bring our supporters on the journey with you. we're going to open up our footy club to our supporters open up to the media and sh- and show you and s- so people can see the type of footy club that we are and that we want to be moving forward. And that's what we, that's our opportunities that in front of us for for myself, for Max, for Jack, for Alex, for Angus, for Christian, for everyone to come in, welcome you into our footy club, and actually show you. We don't want to talk about it. We don't. Mm. I don't. I don't want to sit here and have to convince you that we've got a good culture. I actually want to show you.
13: Mm. And that starts when?
0: Well, it started right now. That's why we're sitting here today. Right. Yeah. You know, we want to open ourselves up. Right. We want to be really clear about where we're at. Be honest and come and show you and take you on a journey. with I don't want to sit here and talk to you and convince you. I'm not going to be able to do that. Mm. All right, we need to show you. And mm. the, the way we'll show you is through bringing you on that journey with us.
4: And, and, Gary, I take it back. These are the exact same guys that after 2020 said enough's enough and we're going to hold ourselves accountable. We're going to have the hold the other players accountable. We're going to build a new culture and program and we're going to commit it a different – these are the exact same players. Yeah. And said, and and so, like Cody say, when you deliver the premiership in 2021, people go, "We'll laud you for the the culture that you've created right now." Now that happened back then, and these are the same guys driving that. And and I I, I think the reason why they find it easier, if you like, to do it now is because they've seen the result of why it's so important to have that alignment and unity right through the group. So did
13: we not handle it as well as we could have the success of 2021 mm. and has that played out in 2022 and 23. What you're saying is Yes, let's make, we're not, enough's enough at the end of 2020. Drive it through 2021, and now has the standard just dropped?
4: No, 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 no. It's, no. Uh, no? culture's not an end point. It's a, it's a daily thing to it keep is. in alignment. So, it is. So how this, can same, it drop? Same, this, this same group has now got a different playing group. We're in a different dynamic. We've got different challenges. Um, we've got different competitive uh, forces against us, And but it's the same group that's going – the culture and the standards and disciplines and the alignment, which, like I said, we don't ever get to a point where we go, finally the the culture's done and we've won the premiership, we can sit back and relax. You can pretty well guarantee the next day and the next day something's gonna change. So it's an ongoing thing and you're backing in the leaders and you're backing in the program um, and it's not an end point. So have we got ahead of ourselves? I don't even know what that means in terms of if, if we've yes, got you to compl- do. you know what getting no, out of yourself but, means. No you've got to look at it specifically go, would does that mean that we've become complacent or Well not mean- even
13: complacent, but in in, in and you, you, you can jump in here. What drives you and you haven't had ultimate success. You know what, dry, you dry, yep. cause you, and then you've got it, you've got the metal around your neck, and then you're going, am I getting out of bed this, am I going to go that, am I going to run that extra, you know what. Yeah,
4: out and of and run. that complacency can happen, and, and the indicator that we see, if that ever happens, is the work rate and the standards and disciplines drop off. Now, did that happen after 2021? It's an easy throwaway line, but did it happen? Um, our results from the pre-season in 2022 were quite far in excess of twenty twenty one. So we had the opposite. We the work rate went through the roof and you actually had a group continue to commit. And and that would be supported if we won those games following and when you don't you open yourself course, up for people course. to go, I don't buy in and that's what you are talking and that,
0: and about. And that's what we live in, live by our industry. You know, you don't win finals and you don't have the ultimate success. People are always going to have that question. But, you know, as I said, we, we put ourselves in that position. We worked incredibly hard. We won 10 games straight after winning a flag. You, you don't do that if you're complacent. You don't do that if you're getting ahead of yourself. Mm. Um, but we haven't been able to get it done at the point yet. And we acknowledge that. we haven't. We haven't been able to win finals. Under the ultimate pressure when it mattered, and, and we'll go to work on that.
14: There's obviously a process with sport integrity Australian. We both, Gary, and I realize you're bound by what you can and can't say in regards to Joel Smith. But what level of disappointment sits in you both that he's found himself in a position where he's you know allegedly tested positive to an illicit substance days out from a game?: Well, I can only go by how I
0: feel. and I, when I first heard, um, I was incredibly angry, frustrated. Um, to think that potentially we've got a player in round 23 on the eve of a final series um, not doing everything possible to help the success of our footy team. And I can only imagine that same feeling would be permeating through our supporter base. And I haven't spoken to Joel. Um, I'm going to let the process play out. Why is that? Um because I have, I've got a level of anger and frustration towards it. Um, there are the right people that are talking to, to Joel um, from a welfare perspective and, and working really closely with him around that. But from where I sit right now, I've, I've got a little bit of frustration because of everything we've just been speaking about, the, the, the behaviours and the culture of our footy club, what we were embarking on at the end of this season um, to potentially be in this situation um, I've got a bit of anger towards it. Has he tried to contact you?
13: No. What are the players? How do they feel about it? And how I can imagine exactly
0: the same as yeah. myself. You know, our leadership group. You know, they're 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 really upset by it. You know, they 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 give everything they can to our footy club, um, and they were doing everything they could to give themselves the best crack at the ultimate success. And um, you know, they're disappointed. They're angry. Um, and I guess we'll just work our way through it slowly as a footy club.
13: Last message for the uh, Melbourne supporters I think you're talking to mostly this morning, but for the broader footy community, have you got a, a message to leave you with? Oh, leave look, you I with.
4: think as we said right at the start of this, we we want to be as transparent as we can with all these issues. Uh, we ask the supporters to sort of listen to the communication from the club, not necessarily that's uh, uh, being... Uh, spilling around there if you like Um, and there's so many good things happening at the club and I think we've just got to stay focused on that it's it's easier to be distracted but as leaders we look at each one of those um, scenarios and go do we have broader issues or we're dealing with player behavior issues and they need to be dealt as that and that's how we're um, moving forward.
8: Yeah,
1: I'd love to know what uh, opening the club up for the fans and the media means uh, throughout season 2024. So we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, Head to to sen.com.au or your podcast store to catch up on the full interview. Just a quick sports update for rjsanderson.com.au. R.J. Sanderson and Associates are accountants and taxation specialists. Take the stress out of taxes. You briefly heard in the news, their new Carlton recruit Elijah Hollands has faced court this morning on the Gold Coast. According to reports, he pleaded guilty to possession of cocaine and was sentenced to a two-month good behaviour bond and must attend a drug education session. No conviction was recorded. Uh, Holland spoke briefly to the media after the hearing.
14: Uh, I'd like to thank the magistrate for their time this morning. Uh, I made a mistake, but am um Extremely remorseful for it. It's not only impacted
0: me, but uh, my family as well. Uh, And I'd like to thank both the Carlton Footy Club
14: and the Gold Coast Sons for their continued support over the last few weeks. Thank you.
0: So that was
1: Elijah Hollands. A Disappointing story too out of the AFLW on the weekend. A statement from the Essendon Footy Club. Uh, Essendon Football Club has been made aware of an incident involving a supporter who racially vilified Carlton AFLW player Vamua Lalalifi during Saturday's game at Windy Hill. The club strongly contemns this behaviour. The matter has been referred to the AFL's integrity unit. The club will now work to identify the individual with the view to educate and, where possible, apply the appropriate punishments. Essendon Football Club sincerely apologises to Lalifi and the Carlton Footy Club for this abhorrent behaviour. So it's a sports update for rjsanderson.com.au. Take the stress out of tax. Got a heap of messages that have come through on the 40 Wings temper. 0433 98 11 16. Just a couple off the back of all the discussion we've had about Melbourne. And, of course, we just replayed uh, some of the interview with Gary Pert and Simon Gould. Goodman, hi Jules, culture, culture, culture. If I hear this complex, multifaceted concept again as a throwaway line from a broadcaster, journo, coach, player or caller, I will quote Terry Wallace, spew up. Cheers, Johnny Mack. Meet you back at the social club, Johnny. Um, A few others here. A good example of what culture is is the Carlton Footy Club. Prior to Cook and Voss and others, Carlton no longer looks for someone to blame for its poor performances i.e. the coach. Instead, Carlton, as a club, now take responsibility for the failures at a club. Uh, Brett from Bacchus Marsh says, you have to carry on about your culture, then it's stuffed. Melbourne need to shut up, win games, and stay out of the spotlight. Um, Melbourne has just come across as an unprofessional club. The coach speaks in awkward, stilted manner that sounds scripted. They need to close ranks and support Oliver, not lay down the law publicly. Other clubs do this a lot better. And we've been asking for your, uh, given it's, Halloween, your nightmare scenario for footy in 2024. Phil says pies going to back to back. Everyone's worst nightmare. Uh, another one, ultimate nightmare. Carlton win the flag. G'day, Jules. My nightmare scenario for my cats would be Mark Blitzars doing his hammy. Again, early in the season. Uh, a more on-field... Football-related nightmare for Melbourne would be if Max Dorn goes down with the injury again and they are, are without a proper ruckman because Grundy is playing in Sydney and playing good footy. Keep them coming through. Welcome back to the show. Well, in the early days of AFLW, uh, the, probably the two names that first come to mind are Daisy Pearce, who went out on top with the Premiership with the Demons uh, last season, and the other one is Erin Phillips, and uh, Aaron will hang up the boots after Port Adelaide's final game this weekend. Uh, So she's going to be on the run home this afternoon, just out of five o'clock with Andy Gaze. Andy Gaze, he's not here today. Andrew Marr and Josh Jenkins will hear from Aaron's father, Greg, a champion footballer in his own right with Port Adelaide uh, later on in the show. But uh, she did a press conference a short time ago in Adelaide. And uh, here's just a portion of what Aaron had to say.
15: Alright, thank you so much for coming. Um, bear with me, this is a very emotional day, um, but I did get the memo um, from the Porto Adelaide Football Club that all the number ones are meant to retire this year, so Satzi, Jonas, now me, so it's the year of the number ones, so um, it was time for a change, I think. Um, yeah, so this Saturday uh, at Alberton will be my last football game. And it has been an incredible eight seasons playing this game that I've absolutely loved my whole life. But now it's absolutely the right decision to call time. I wish I could physically keep going and give this club more, but I can honestly say that I've given every single thing that I have left. There are so many people I need to thank and I'll reach out to those people uh, throughout the next few weeks. But today, I want to start off by thanking the AFL, Nicole Livingston, Andrew Dillon, in particular Gil McLaughlin for moving this competition up. I may have missed the boat if you didn't do it. I'm not sure where I'd be without the AFLW. I'd like to thank my management team, TLA, Tom Petroro, Cam Roughhead, Adrian Davies. I can't thank you enough for everything that you've, you've done for me and my family. We couldn't be in better hands. To my personal sponsors, Metro Homes, Puma Chemist Warehouse, INC, I'm proud to represent great brands and I look forward to working with you in the future with wonderful people. I want to thank the Adelaide Football Club for giving me my very first opportunity to start my football career. In particular, Phil Harper for everything that he did for me and my family, going above and beyond to make us feel welcome. My past coaches, Bec Goddard, Matthew Clark. To all my former teammates, Crows members and fans that have always supported me. To have been a captain alongside a great mate, Chelsea Randall, and win three premierships at the Crows will go down to some of the proudest moments of my sporting career. Well, it finally ends where it starts. I want to thank the Port Adelaide Football Club for bringing me back to Alberton. Chris Davies. Matthew Richardson, Juliet Haslam, Rachel Sporn for all your support, my coach Lauren Arnell for your friendship and guidance, our coaching staff, support staff, medical and SNC, for the enormous amount of work that you put into this team. Uh, to our incredible members and fans who support us each week, to experience never tear us apart on the field is truly one of the most amazing moments. Uh, you can have being a player at this club. To my teammates who are here today in this room, I've loved being a part of your journey and I'm honored to have been your captain for the past two seasons. I'm going to miss having a laugh and a kick with you, bantering about Gemma Houghton most of the time. See, they get what I'm saying. I have so much belief uh, in this group and I cannot wait to see the, the day that you guys are at the top of the mountain, I'll be one of the proudest people in the world. Uh, To two of my teammates in particular who have followed me for my whole journey, uh, Angela and Justine, I know you'll continue to help lead this team and even though I won't be out there, uh, you'll be a part of me and my family's lives forever. (laughs) To my sisters Rachel and Amy and their families for all your support here today, traveling interstate or flying overseas to watch me play. I actually don't think there are any more supportive siblings and I know how much you all love coming to support me and this team, but I can honestly say I'll be glad I won't have to sort out 18 tickets every week. (laughs) Uh, Mum and Dad, who gave me every opportunity to be whatever and whoever I wanted to be. I love you both so much and being a parent myself now I realise even more of the sacrifices that you both have made to help me follow my dreams. My mum who has spent countless hours taking me to all my trainings and games over the years, you are my biggest fan and, and I've never in your eyes have ever played a bad game. I can always count on you to make me feel better even when I had an absolute shocker. To my dad, Thank you for teaching me this game, for spending time when I'm sure you were tired and sore from your own trainings to teach me this game as a young girl. And even when you knew there was no future in it, you taught me anyway. You are the reason why I love this game. And I'm proud, so proud, that I got to play here. Even more proud that I got to play the same number as you. My wife, Tracy, who has taken this retirement harder than anybody, (laughs) (laughs) uh, she actually did want me to play another 10 years. And I did have to tell her that in another 10 years, well, I'll be close to 50. Um, I still can't believe that in 2017, you actually agreed to pack up our eight-week-old twins, move back to Adelaide away from your family in the USA. You did this because you knew how much I would regret it. You knew how much my passion and always was football. I couldn't get through this life without you. You ride the emotional wave that sport brings, often lying awake with me at night dissecting the games. I love you so much and I'm excited to finally get the opportunity to support your career. Blake, Brooklyn, Drew and London, so many of you I have to write your names down. (laughs) Um, I love you guys more than anything. I'm so happy that I've been able to raise you around strong, confident female athletes on reflection of my career and my life is far, you for and are and always will be my greatest achievement. Today I sit here feeling an overwhelming amount of gratitude. I got the opportunity to play for two cl- clubs that mean so much to me and my family. I got to witness firsthand the impact that AFLW has had, and not just female football, but female sport in this country. It has been incredibly rewarding and something that I'm extremely proud of, to be a part of, and I'm sure Laws is too. So here we are, one more game to go, and I cannot wait to run out there with my teammates in front of our great fans at Albert and Oval one last time. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, so you can hear from Erin uh, a little bit later on the run home and for our South Australian uh, listeners, on with Kimbo and the Roach. Grant Phillips will join us a little bit later, and we'll go through her achievements uh, before we speak to Greg because it's, uh, it's a great CV in Aussie rules, and it's a great CV in basketball. So, well done to Aaron Phillips, and uh, as we say, you can hear on the run home, and Kimbo and the Roach. Welcome back to the show. After the news, going to chat all things football with Simon Hill. and Bulldogs fans, in about 25 minutes, uh, get on the Werribee Kia Open line, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. It's upside-downside for the Bulldogs in 2024 and in different years, certainly in 2023. One off the 40-wings temper from J-Dog, who's got in nice and early. Upside continued development of promising young tools. Norton, Eugle Hagen, Darcy, Bustinger, Croft, O'Donnell. Downside, dogs miss out on drafting Nick the Wizard Watson and their only other small forward options in Arthur Jones and Charlie Clark do not progress enough to support Cody Waitman. That's the sort of stuff we're looking for in about 20 minutes time. Uh, upside downside for the Western Bulldogs who finished ninth in 2023 as we look ahead to 2024. Okay, time to celebrate some lives thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. <laughs> Okay, stop, collaborate, and listen. Vanilla Rice is 56. 56 today. My goodness me, that makes me feel older. Uh very talented man, Vanilla Rice, and that was certainly his big hit in about 19... What was that, 1990? 91, something like that. 89, uh, back in uh, that day. So uh, 56 today. Uh, happy birthday too to the recently retired three-time Richmond Premiership player and now author, Jack Revolt, who turned 35 today. And a shout-out to a couple of uh, colleagues in the sports journalism world. The hard-working Daniel Cherney, who's currently in India, and Jay-Z Clark, be about forty now, I reckon old Jay Clark. They celebrate their birthdays today as well. All thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. Welcome back to the show, Julian Destoop, sitting in for Dwayne Russell. Big final hour coming up, and there is so much going on in the world of football at the moment. The Matildas, the A League, the Premier League, the Ballon d'Or was decided overnight, and of course, most most importantly. Tottenham atop of the English Premier League. To, to discuss it all, Simon Hill, host of the Global Game, of course, 8pm tonight across the SEN network, joins me. Hello, Simon. Hello, Jules.
3: How are
1: you, mate? I'm very well. Let's start with the Matildas. Uh, you know, not, not unexpected, the, the dominant performance the other day, but uh, just in the last 24 hours, I guess... They're going to have this Olympic qualifier uh, early next year. We'd love to see it at one of the huge venues around Australia, whether it's the MCG or a core or or Suncorp Stadium. But unfortunately, it looks like a couple of world superstars that are singing around the same time might deny us that.
3: <laughs> well, there you go. That's why we need football stadiums, huh? Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, you know, they're, they're the biggest ticket in town at the moment. It's understandable that. Uh, you know, they want to make hay while the sun shines and make a bit of money as well uh, and get as many people in the stadiums as is possible. Uh, personally, and you know my preferences on this, I don't like us playing at Oval Stadiums. Yep. Uh, the sight lines aren't great. The pitches aren't always great, uh, particularly if you've got, uh, you know, world singing stars that are uh, on that mm. uh, surface, you know, some hours beforehand. Um, and, you know, it's it's my opinion that we should be using this as a sport to say, you know what about some of our own facilities um which we have precious little of but you know that that's that's a, a longer bigger picture term arguments uh in terms of how the team's going both on and off the field uh, it's terrific and um you're right that the philippines and iran and chinese Taipei tomorrow not not you know the highest quality opposition but you can only beat what's in front of you and they've They've done that quite comfortably so far over there in WA.
1: Should we not underestimate that crowd in WA, though? I mean, nearly 60,000, you know, it's not the most high-profile opposition that the Matildas are playing now. I don't know about you, but I couldn't see the Socceroos getting 60,000 for an Olympic qualifier against that sort of opposition. So should we not undersell what sort of an amazing turnout that is?
3: Oh, nobody's underselling it. Um, But let me remind you, in 2006... Uh, when Australia were about to go to the World Mm. Cup in Germany for the first time in 32 years, and the Socceroos were the nation's darlings, 96,000 turned up to watch a friendly against Greece at the MCG. So, you know, this... uh, And this is what I I talk about when I uh, I talk about the bigger picture. Um, You know, that that was a long time ago now, but the game didn't capitalise upon that, and they, they are fleeting moments in time. Now, at the moment, we're living in that so everybody's saying, oh, I just played at the biggest stadiums possible. Well, what about the longer-term mm. effects for the game? And this is where we have to capitalise as a sport. Now, I want I to draw people's attention. We're going to talk about this on the global game tonight. 100,000 people in total this week will watch three Matildas games in WA, which is absolutely brilliant. 3 sellout stadiums. Now, last week, Perth Glory played an A-League women's game in the same city and 1,450 people mm. turned up. There's the disconnect. So, you know, we have to find solutions to that as a sport. And part of that is building identity for our clubs. And building identity means building homes, building permanence as much as anything else, building that place of worship like Anfield, like Old Trafford, like White Hart Lane, like the Emirates, like the Bernabeu, uh, you know, like the Allianz Arena in Munich, where people go... That's the home of that club, and I want to go there because that's my sporting cathedral mm. every couple of weeks. We don't have that in this country for our code of football. And when we get big moments like the game against the Philippines or that friendly for the soccer is against Greece 20-odd years ago, we uh, go and play at an AFL stadium or a cricket venue, and then everybody goes, oh, isn't that brilliant? And then five years later, it's all forgotten. So th- this is what I'm talking about yep. in terms of the long... Term uh, impact for the game, and Ange Postecoglou said this only last week. Uh, you know, they'll build. He said, "I'll guarantee now all this hype, and football will be left with nothing at the end of it." And that's my fear.
1: Mm, yeah, completely understandable. I mean, the, the Matildas have got so many star names now in your net. You can see them playing around. You know, in the best clubs around the world. Our men. Don't have that at the moment. But just watching the A-League in the first couple of weeks, I mean, three teenagers scored for Adelaide the other day. There was a lot of players under 21 getting on the score sheet and having really good performances on the weekend. How excited are you about this next generation of future Socceroos that might be coming through the A-League at the moment?
3: Well, again, Jules, I've been excited for the last two Mm. years. You know, over the last two off-seasons, we have sold, as a league, 32 players to clubs in Europe. Um... And a lot of them are playing, OK, not necessarily in the Premier League, which everybody seems to judge uh, football here against, which is completely unfair. Mm. But they are playing in some of the top leagues of Europe. So we have been producing good talent now for quite some time. Now, we had eight debutants at the weekend. Hopefully, some of those are going to go on uh, to be big stars, not just for their clubs here, but ultimately in Europe and for the national teams. But we've got a good league here. The perception is, is that it's rubbish, and that's the problem, um, because we don't have enough people going to watch it on a day-to-day, but on a week-to-week basis, or watching on TV. So we deal in stereotypes, which unfortunately are reinforced by a lot of the mainstream media, uh, and they will, you know, every few weeks when the Matildas or the Socceroos play, they will get on board and then very quickly jump off it. But in terms of the overall picture, the football uh, competitions here in Australia are, are pretty healthy. It's just off the field where we're missing that connection, and uh, you know, obviously, that's incumbent upon people like me who work in the media to try and help correct that message a little bit. But the game's got to do its bit as well.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, is uh, the game doing enough? Is, it, is 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 the A no. A League's doing enough to promote the good parts no, we're of the sport? Near. So. No. Why, why not? No, why it. not? Because it's been a criticism well, against them for years that they, they haven't done that.
3: Well, look, partly they don't have the money to be able to do that. And partly there is a cultural disconnect because a lot of the mainstream media don't want it. Um, you know, you have big media players in this country who are invested in other sports. Now, they're not stupid enough to go against the national teams because they know what sort of backlash they would get if they went against the Matildas or the Socceroos. But the A-League is is a very convenient sort of whipping boy or whipping girl, if you want to talk about the, the women's competition. Uh, it can be safely ignored and uh, disparaged, and yet, you know, when we get to a point where there are crowd problems or a flare is let off, all of a sudden, they're all over it. Funny, that.
1: Simon Hill, host of the Global Game, uh, joins us. You can listen to the show tonight, 8 across eight o'clock across the SCN network. Just on the pitch uh, in the A-League, uh, amazing weekend. It's been a... Fascinating start to the season. You've got City, uh, Sydney and Central Coast. Zip, zip, zip. Is there early mm. concerns for those three or far too early to be too concerned? Uh,
3: look, it is a bit early, but I, I think there are certainly warning signs there uh, for some of them. Um, Melbourne City have gone through a very big off-season rebuild because they've lost a lot of talent, that have won three consecutive premierships, Geordie Boss, Aidan O'Neill, Tom Glover, uh Marco Tilio, Richard Vanderven, you know, t- they've lost half a team. Um similarly with the Mariners, uh Sammy Silvera, Jason Cummings, um, Benny and Cololo, Maresh, you know, the Nektar Triantis, that- they've lost lost half the team that that won the championship last year. So of course there's gonna be a bit of a betting in process and that's before you could take into account the fact they've lost Nick Montgomery with the architects that you know their coach last season. So it is going to take a while for them to settle down. Um, I, I don't really have too many fears for all the three that you mentioned. Uh, maybe Sydney a little bit more because you know they won the Australia Cup in pre-season and we thought they'd you know they'd settled into to their new uh, playing system. But uh, there's you know they're a big club and there's a lot of attention on them. So, uh, but but generally this happens a lot in the A League. Uh, successful teams tend to lose a lot of players and they have to rebuild and uh, you know all that takes time. Unfortunately.
1: Ballon d'Or decided uh, overnight another fantastic performance from Sam Kerr, second after being third and third Mm -hmm. the last couple of years. Lionel Messi winning for, well, extending his record. He's won it eight times now. Right result or is the big Norwegian from Manchester City who just banged in 52 and 53 games a little bit stiff?
3: Well, as a City fan, I probably think he's a bit stiff, but uh, you know he won pretty much everything that he could win last season. But unfortunately, he didn't win the World Cup, which is you know clearly why Messi's got the nod. It's
1: tough for him to do that uh, when his maybe. country doesn't make it, isn't
3: it? Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean it's not Erling Haaland's fault, but. Uh, yeah, I can understand why Messi got that vote. It, it might, it's probably going to be the last time he wins it because obviously now he's playing over in the States with Inter Miami. Um, but you know, when you when you've had such an impact on the game as Messi has for almost two decades now, and you win the World Cup, um, which is the crown in glory, then it's it's it would be a bit churlish to say it's unfair. But uh, you know, Erling Haaland's only 22. He's got another 10 years to win a Ballon d'Or, and I'm sure he will do.
1: Yeah, 32 goals and 25 assists across 55 games for Lionel Messi, including seven goals in the World Cup. On to the Premier League. Uh, Seems to be rinse and repeat at Manchester United. Off-field, unstable performances on the pitch, underwhelming and pressure building on the manager. Where's it going to end for Eric Ten Hag, do you think?
3: Well, if it carries on like this, it'll only end in one way, which is the sack, which is unfortunate because I don't necessarily think that all the blame can be put at his door. You know, Manchester United is a, a club that has been in decline for a long time, probably a decade since Alex Ferguson left. And uh, Ten Hag is trying to put in place the building blocks. Uh, I'm not saying he's done everything correctly or that all his signings or all his selections have been, you know, right on the money. And he was unfortunate the weekend that he he came up against what is, you know, undisputedly the, the top club in world football at the moment, which is Manchester City. And they absolutely pants United, to be quite honest. It could have been six or seven. So th- there's a long way to go for United, but I tend to think that they're, Structural problems as a club will not be fixed until the Glazers Mm. sell the club, which it looked like they were going to do. But for whatever reason, they've backtracked on that. Um, And I think whilst that discontent is there, and by extension, probably the lack of investment in a lot of things, training ground, stadium, players, uh, those problems are going to (laughs) continue.
1: So Spurs 10 games in, still undefeated Ange Postacoglu. Looking ahead, say another 10 games time, when we're getting just past the halfway mark of the season, do you still think Tottenham are good enough to be in right in a title race?
3: Well, look, at the moments. you have to say yes, um, because, you know, they're flying and uh, they're playing good football. They, they seem to be pretty solid defensively. Uh, Romero and Van are a, a good central pairing, which has been, you know, one of Spurs' issues in the past. They've always been able to score goals, but they've, uh, they've always been a bit leaky at the other end. So Ange appears to have, you know, fixed both issues whilst at the same time cashing in on Harry Kane, which I actually think has been a good thing for Tottenham uh, because the focus was on him mm-hmm. a lot. And, you know, similar scenario with Cristiano Ronaldo at Manchester United 12 months ago uh sometimes it's got to be about the team effort rather than the individual but there is a long way to go um and you know injuries loss of form uh, the plethora of games around the the, the two big busy periods christmas and easter you know Ange is not stupid he knows that uh you know there's going to be a title race his aim i think is to be in it and if he finishes top four obviously he'll want to win it but if he finishes top four They'll be a legend at Tottenham, and uh, particularly if he wins a trophy as well, because they haven't won one since 2008. So uh, they're loving him at the moment, and rightly so.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do in January. They're still around the mark. Now, as a football lover and an Englishman, when I say this name to you, what's your reaction? Jude Bellingham.
3: <laughs> yeah, he's a gun, isn't he? He's phenomenal. Um, yeah, and he's, he's going to be a star for many, many years to come. I mean, he's still only very young. And the fact that Real Madrid were prepared to invest well over €100 million Euros in his services to bring in from Borussia Dortmund tells you everything. And he hasn't disappointed. And the one thing I like about him most, apart from his undoubted ability, is his temperament. He doesn't appear to be phased by much. Um, and he just keeps on delivering. He can score goals. He can set them up. He can link play. He can tackle. He can do pretty much everything. And, um, you know, hopefully as an Englishman. He wins us a World Cup or helps us win a World Cup before I pop my clogs.
1: <laughs> well, Kane and Bellingham, you've got a good combination uh, at the moment. Hey, just on uh, great English footballers, did you get right into the David Beckham documentary? Have you seen it? And what
3: was yeah, your thoughts? Yeah, I watched it. Yeah, I thought it was very good, to be honest. Um, one thing that struck me, you know, David Beckham, obviously a global superstar. is a great footballer like that. I don't necessarily think he's, he's a hugely interesting character, but it, uh, things have happened to him. You know, <laughs> he's had an interesting life because of the things that have happened to him. And I, I particularly admired the way he dealt with the opprobrium that he received after the red card in the World Cup in 1998. I was around in England. Yeah, that was horrendous. Days, what he got, and it was horrific. Uh, and he dealt with it brilliantly. Um, so yeah, full of admiration for him. And uh, it was it was a very interesting documentary, albeit you know a little bit conservative in places. But that's because it was his company that was making it. Mm. So that's the way it is in the media these days.
1: Have you thought with David Beckham was he underrated at times as a footballer because of how big a global phenomenon he was, or do you feel sometimes he was overrated as a footballer because of the global <laughs> phenomenon he was?
3: Yeah, probably a bit of both, to be honest. I mean, he was—he was a very, very good footballer. Was he one of the top five or ten of all time? Was he no, world
1: class at the time?
3: He was world class. Yes, there's no I agree. doubt about that. Um, and he, he, you know, he fitted in to being one of those Galacticos at Real Madrid, which told you just how good he was. But was he Pele or Maradona mm. or Messi? No, he wasn't. But he was very, very good in his generation. And, uh, you know, you don't win 100-plus caps for your country and play for clubs like Man United, Real Madrid, AC Milan, Paris Saint-Germain, if you're not a very, very top footballer. And he was.
1: Just finally, A-League action this weekend, Uh, Simon. uh, Always a big game when uh, Melbourne victory take on Adelaide. They've both made tremendous starts to the season. We've got to mention Bruno Fornaroli, at 36 years of age, Mm. scoring a Rabona and four goals in the first half. (laughs) Uh, Who who do you like in this one uh, on the weekend?
3: Difficult to pick, isn't it? Um, you know, I think Adelaide have surprised a few people in the first couple of rounds. I know there's a bit of discontent around their fan base after the, the loss of Craig Goodwin and mm. not many new signings coming in, but they've got a crop of brilliant young kids. Uh, and Victory look reborn this season after their troubles last year. Uh and as you rightly say, looks fit and hungry. It reminds me, not exactly the same sort of player, but... Reminds me in terms of his drive of Bessart Barisha in his heyday, um, playing up top for victory. So, yeah, it'll be a fascinating clash. And absolutely fascinating. And before I let
1: you go, what are we can we look forward to on the global game tonight?
3: Uh, so we got Lockie Brook coming on from Western Sydney mm. Wanderers who, who scored a couple of uh, uh, the red and black uh, weekend. One of them, absolutely brilliant goal. Uh, we'll talk about the Matildas, uh, of course, and, and their win over the Philippines and the big crowds. Uh, And all our usual, Spencer Pryor on the Premier League, Paul Williams, Football Asia, and uh, no doubt lots more talking points besides.
1: What can we expect from the Matildas tomorrow night? Given Philippines beat Chinese Taipei and we knocked them off eight zip, I'm not sure what sort of lineup Tony Gustafson will play, but should we expect another thumping?
3: I think you can expect a win. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I would imagine it would be a big margin of victory put it that way. I think you're
1: right. (laughs) Absolutely another packed house. Uh, Simon, so much to enjoy in the world of football, internationally and domestically at the moment. We look forward to the global game tonight. Thanks for your time.
2: Cheers. Thanks, Jules. Down,
10: up, down, up, down, up, come on, more energy.
1: Uh, The Doggies need a bit more energy in 2024. It's time for Upside Downside Western Bulldogs fans. Give us a call 1300 736 736 on the Werribee Kia Open Line awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. Shocked a lot of people that they didn't play finals in season 2023. The Doggies still haven't been able to break through and win another premiership since 2016. Only one year since... Then have they made finals? Actually, won some finals. Uh, that was in 2021 when they made it all the way through to the grand final. So, what's the upside? What's the downside in season 2024 for the dogs? Upside for me is well, missing finals and changing the coaching team around Luke Beveridge should be a bit of a spur. Should be a bit of a prick. They should be hurt. They should be hurting after what happened over summer. Yes, a Rod, like you know. Prick with a needle. Um, Over summer, it should be hurting the fact that a group with so much talent did not play finals, so that the motivation should be really high next year for the Western Bulldogs. And they've got A-grade talent. That is the upside. They've got A-grade talent in most parts of the field. Maybe down back, you could argue they don't have the A-grade talent, but through the midfield, up forward, in the ruck, they've got A-grade talent. So on a talent issue, this team should be playing Finals football. Downside, defending. Not the back six. defence in totality. Do they, do they defend like their lives are on the line, the dogs? Are they manic when they defend? I'm not sure they are. They need to improve that. The tools, how do they fit them all in? How do they maximize the talent of these tools? We spoke at the start of last pre oh, I'm going to play the four big blokes up it It never happened. Part of that was due to injury. But I don't think it ever would have worked playing four tools up forward. And they're only adding, you know, more with the young Jordan Croft uh, coming in to the system and connection. Are they on the same page at the Western Bulldogs? Is everything okay between coach and players? Are they all moving in the one direction? So that, that's a challenge for the Bulldogs uh, next season. Give us a call now, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 Signet Boost Power Bank for our best call. I've done a little bit uh, in the trade period. Nick Caulfield comes in as that sort of intercepting defender. Uh, and, of course, they've got James Harms in. Is, is he going to be in their best 22? Is he the sort of player they need as a, a bit of a stopper throughout the midfield? If you look at their midfield, most are pretty attacking-based players. You know, Bonson, Pally, Liberatore, McRae these sort of players. I think Harms can play a role there, is that uh, more accountable uh, midfielder throughout the team. So it's a a really big year for the Bulldogs. I mean, we've been speaking about Melbourne today, and they're going to be under the spotlight for sort of different reasons. But in terms of their on-field performance, the Bulldogs, it needs to improve, and they need to maximise the talent they've got on their list. Otherwise, the pressure... Is going to be on their coach in Luke Beveridge. So give it a call, 1300 736 736. We'll send them through on the 40 Wings Temper, 04 3 98 11 16. The all new Temper Pro, Temper's most adaptive mattress ever is here. Temper a mattress like no other. I think J Dog uh, off the 40 Wings Temper before made a good point. Small Fords has been a bit of an issue for the Bulldogs. He got Cody Waitman, very good player, but he's not that traditional. Small forward. He's more your sort of Toby Green type where, you know, he's more of a marking small forward than that real genuine crummer. And the Bulldogs have thrown a heap of players through that half forward sort of role. You know, Scott and Garcia and McNeil, you know, Johannesson uh, for a while. It hasn't really worked. So you can understand why if he's there at their pick, Nick Watson probably would go to the Western Bulldogs. They need that quality small forward to, to get around the feet of those big guys and another issue they're probably going to have to deal with next year is a lot of talk around their players that are coming out of contract. You know Tim English coming out of contract, uh, Bailey Smith who certainly didn't have his best year this year coming out of contract and Jamara Yugel Hagen coming out of contract and and I'm sure they'll want to wrap them up as quickly as they can. Uh, but if it does go on too long in the season, you know some of that speculation uh, does not get easy to handle. So uh, plenty on the plate of the Western Bulldogs, if you want to give us a call, 1300 736 736. Give us your thoughts on the dogs. Got a couple off the 40 winks uh, temper about the Bulldogs. Uh, upside downside. Go a lot of love for the stinger for upside downside. Keep up the good work, uh, says one. Uh, another one says, I'm still confused on Bevo's comments per the Eagles loss. Uh, please explain. Uh, dogs drafted a small forward with a high pick last year. Young Clark, it yeah, was mentioned by J-Dog. I still think... If Nick Watson's there, by the sound of uh, what a lot of people are saying, he's a good chance of getting to the Bulldogs. Uh, another one here, I'm generally concerned for the Dogs. Bevo isn't the coach. He was, and I don't say, see where the improvement comes from outside of Jamara, Ugal, Hagen. Um Easy for the Dogs Here's another one. Troy from Ballarat. Uh, better constitu- constitution, I think he means contribution. Uh, from the bottom six to eight players, we'll have them rocket up the ladder. Downside, same old dogs, no defence, says Troy in Ballarat. And Timmy from Altona Meadows has jumped on the line, wants to give us a bit of upside-downside for the doggies. G'day, Tim.
2: G'day. I just think with the doggies, I think Bevo just swings the magnets far too Mm -hmm. much. He doesn't let players settle into their positions enough. I mean, Caleb Daniel is like one of the best rebounding, zippy defenders going around. He throws him into the midfield. He's too small for their... They were playing Bont forward too often. We saw how good he was when he played in the midfield, nearly one at Brownlow. And, you know, they shuffled Trelaw and McRae and these types around. I just think too much shuffling um, and pick plays in their specialised positions. Like, you reeled off some of those other young guys before, like McNeil and Riley West and those guys. Like, they're midfielders. They yeah. shouldn't be playing forward, pocket, half, forward. So, I think pick plays and play them in their right positions. And, you Give him a proper go for a you know a good season or two or three in a row. Build that, and then he might they might get some better results.
1: I think that's that's a common criticism of a lot of Bulldogs fans and even uh, you know media that watch the doggies uh, closely. You look at Jack McRae last year; such a staple and you know top three in the best and fairest most years. It was I think 14th in the best and fairest, pushed out of the midfield, uh, looked a little bit lost. So I think that's a fair call. I think. Even when things are going really well, he, he does have the tendency to, to experiment maybe a bit too much. Um, so it be interesting to see, you know, he's got new coaching staff, new people he can listen to. I wonder if that's going to be some of the feedback he gets. We know when Chris Scott got new, in, new staff and, Ross Lyon at St Kilda this year. He threw it open to them. You come back to me with the way we should play, and let's work through it. So it'd be interesting to see if Luke Beveridge uh, does that. Uh, thanks for your call, Tim. Um, just another one. Jack McCray looks slow and terribly out of form. Usually take Brownlow boats off. Bomb with around 15 per year, but I don't even think he registered a vote. Needs to rebound next season, says Pete. In Seven Hill SA. That was Upside Downside for rjsanderson.com.au. Take the stress out of tax. Signet Booth Powerbank coming your way. Tim, uh, for giving your thoughts.
15: To my dad, thank you for teaching me this game. For spending time when I'm sure you were tired and sore from your own trainings to teach me this game as a young girl. And even when you knew there was no future in it, you taught me anyway. You are the reason why I love this game. And I'm proud, so proud, that I got to play here. Even more proud that I got to play the same number as you. Uh, beautiful words there from Erin
1: Phillips about her father, Greg Phillips. So if you're just joining us, Erin Phillips will play her final game in the AFLW for Port Adelaide this weekend. And her father, a champion footballer in his own right, Greg Phillips, has joined us this afternoon. No, afternoon, Greg.
10: You know, yeah, thank you. Thanks for the call. How,
1: how do you feel listening to your daughter talk to you about you like that?
10: Oh, yeah. Yeah, proud of you. I can. It definitely brings back the memories pretty quick. You know, like, uh, she's one of these girls that just every spare second of time was either like the footy or the cricket or hitting the ball or, um, yeah, there was uh, nothing more than she wanted to do was play sport, so... Would have been interesting to see today as she was though, if she had a phone in the hand or a computer. But we thank God we didn't have them those days. She used to annoy the shit out of me, yeah. But um, uh, actually, uh, she just absolutely loved every little bit of every little bit of sport and you know, watch sport and just wanted to be part of uh, you know part of um, me and watch myself. And yeah, uh, uh, it just brought back memories that yeah, she was very very. Um, they were willing to play any sort of sport, which is good, but
1: most of it was football, yep. So It's quite amazing the way she summed that up, that, you know, thank you, Dad, for teaching me, even though you knew there was no future in it. And I guess there's so many fathers now of AFLW players, I guess particularly the, the players that are a little bit older, that it's, it probably was the same sort of feeling. You're having a kick with me, Aaron, and I love playing yeah. footy with you, but you can't really go on with this.
10: Yeah, it's I was because I probably I I knew there was um events coming to, but I really come to an end, you know, the junior d- uh, development part of things. But now she was just so focused into it. You know, it was interesting to know like she played for Smosh Westlakes, which is the same team as um, Brett Ebert that played um, for Power and Port and Russell Sun. And when she was under 14, she won the under 14s best and fairest at Smosh, in the boys died. And and Brett won the under 15s. You know, so. But I knew that when that that's was when she'd won that, and um, that uh, there was going to be nothing left, you know, after to do that. So yeah, not only Erin's as a playing footy as a young girl, no doubt there's thousands of others that happened, and uh, yeah, they all had to take different other avenues or angles of what to play. So yeah, she quickly got into um, netball, uh, into basketball. Sorry, actually we got it. She was playing tennis for about four years. She was a. Um, very good junior tennis player. She was at Memorial Drive. And Evon she got into the last two for a scholarship. And uh, Yvonne gilligan Corley was the one that was going to pick it. And, um, I, you know, she was very good. I thought she was one of the good in that. And she missed that. So there was a, she made the top two. And the other girl got it. So she said, I'm going to go and play basketball now. So, yeah, introduced to Rachel Sporn. And she grew in a, in a sporting career, sort of starting off and, you know, loving Rachel Sporn and playing basketball. Uh, really
1: easy question for you, Greg. Was she a better footballer or a better basketballer?
10: Well, oh, um, I like, would like to see in half her age. She's thirty-eight today, she ATT, was nineteen <laughs> now, starting. Yeah. When I finished with her at fourteen, I, I think she would have been would have been, and when I oh, we some butts and all that, but but yeah, but when she um, oh, she, when they won the championship for Indiana in two thousand thirteen. And uh, I think she shot about 18 in the... They were 2-1 and went um, 3-1 up to win the series. Um, you know, you couldn't have asked for a better game. She uh, she shot 80 and played the um, the perfect... You know, just because she came in as a lady called um, Katie Douglas that was injured and she got in and she played in all the starting line and just played so well in the finals. But and I, Now, when you see um, some of the girls over there that she's up against and the height and the weight and the size of them, you know, she, she used to hold her, uh, you know... Um, she used to hold uh, hold a game, and um, yeah, the bigger they used to chuck it, the more she used to go back. Many a times uh, when they used to put on a block, uh, many a times they used to clean her up, but many a times she used to clean her up, drop the the football shoulder running them, so get the deliberate foul that. But no, she was she was very good. Um, she, she I wouldn't wouldn't like to say which one, but uh, you know she enjoyed both, and which was which is something you know. I just wished USA was a little bit closer, you know, but um, you could have seen a lot more of it. But, you know, thank God for Skype and all that. We used to see it and watch it early hours in the morning. And, yeah, yeah, you know, to represent Australia, to play for the whole lot, you know, it was just a dream come true. I was only thinking the other day if um, I could just imagine if today the AFLW or the AFL announced there was going to be an AFLW women's side coming into the competition, you know, I think. Wow, you know, she's she's 38. She's not going to play. You wouldn't get a game, and yep. you think you know the world's crushed on her. You know that that's the way Aaron would think. And um, but the way it turned out, the way the way all the cards have fallen, it's from a right through her just to playing a junior development football, right through to basketball to footy and everything to to go the way it did um is just unbelievable. You know, from the time that when she got put on as a rookie or something with the Crows, and she came home and said, Dad. Um, the crows have asked me to play. What do you reckon I should do? I said, just go, love. Get yep. into it. You know, you know, you know your football is all about it. You know, because when there was a bit, of, you know, when um, there was a thought about the AFLW going in, well, she was kicking footies at the You know, in the basketball arenas, in the um, the NFL, ovals wherever she could. You know, thinking that there might have been a chance, and you know, it's been her book. Her life in sports been unbelievable. Everything for her has turned to gold. So she's she's a lucky woman, and you know, I'm just a lucky dad. And my wife Julie pretty proud of her. You
1: should be. And yeah, as you you create your own luck though. And she's worked so hard at whatever sport she's put her mind to. I mean, despite all the achievements, you know, playing for Australia and uh, winning a heap of you know, basketball achievements, winning premierships with the Crows. For you, is is the proudest thing seeing her play for Port Adelaide in your jumper? Is that the, is that the most special thing you look back on?
10: Oh, uh, yeah, pretty well. You know, I, you can sort of say that I was proud that she did, but, you know, I was proud. I I just thought the way the Crows looked after her and accepted her. And, you know, they're, they're a very good club, the Crows, you know, and, and uh, you know, she just did it into that mould straight away, you know. So, but yeah, to do that and when it was getting close to that and then Power uh, got in um, you know she could have quite easily stopped there and you know just knew that they, were, so they had a side to be successful they, they'd been in the competition for a while and you could see that you know they weren't you know they weren't going to be always far from playing off in finals but um, we both knew when it came back it was going to be a hard um, uh, hard report, you know with the young side going in starting from the beginning again so but yeah she you know I said you I said' you're more than welcome to stay with the Crows if you want to, and she's no doubt I'll you know I'll, I think I'll you know come back and play with port and I wear number twenty two so you know yeah it did sort of make me sort of feel proud, but I suppose it probably made me proud of it you' got the captain because i i said you are the captain of um 'cause I, there's not too many father sons that have been like a captain of a
1: yeah
10: you know of a of a of the same team, so it was pretty special and um you know, she's grown up with a lot of the blokes um, that I played there with, uh, Timmy Ginnam George Fiagi and George Fiorgi, You know, even Nathan Buckley. When he was, she could remember him and all that, when they all played here, you know. So she had a special, special bond of just being training always on the oval when I was there playing. You know, a lot of games were after. You know, if the if the lights was out, she was still out there kicking with some boys as a junior. You know, just just loving it. But, yeah, grew up with a lot of my teammates, and you know, she's she's special to me. And she's, you know, even the late Russell Ebert, when uh, you know she used to work with Russell, go around to schools and do development and uh, all the sort of work there. You know, Russell was absolutely fantastic towards us. So, you know, everyone that's been a friend of mine that's helped out and um, grown up with her, and no doubt sort of made of that wanting to just at least represent the club for a couple of years, which is you know, everything's turned out fantastic.
1: Uh, Greg, you and your wife should be so proud of her. It's been an amazing career across basketball uh, and Aussie rules football. Uh, enjoy the final game uh, this weekend. I'm sure it's going to be a pretty emotional one for Aaron, yourself, and the whole family. Thanks so much for taking our call this afternoon.
10: No worries, thank you guys. Thanks for everyone for their wishes too. There's people even ring me up on the phone and leave a message and everything, and I'm not the one that's tired. But yeah, no, nah, a proud Phillips, um, proud Phillips household. So thank you to everybody.
1: Awesome, Greg. Uh, Great to chat to Greg Phillips, uh, Aaron's father, former Port Adelaide champion, just a lazy eight-time SANFL Premiership player. Beaumont Tiles is giving away two trip-for-two to American footy's biggest game, uh, don't forget that, worth over $70,000. You got until November 12th. All you have to do is shop in store and you're in with a chance. T's and C's apply.